Elizabeth McBain, how are you doing this morning in a very busy time of panto land? Ben, I'm hanging on in there. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's similar to most of the leisure and entertainment places. It's probably people here, there and everywhere coming there, going there, everything else in between. Well, the thing is that Lighthouse is not just a theatre. We're also a concert hall and a studio theatre and a cinema and a gallery. So um, yeah. this is our busiest period of time and all of our spaces are full with a variety of different things. So we've got concerts yeah. in, in the concert hall. Um, we've got our pantomime um, in the theatre that we produce ourselves. Um, yeah. And that's Aladdin this year. And then in our studio theatre, we've got a new, a new production of a, a play um, yeah. uh, of the Three Little Pigs that uh, Lighthouse has commissioned with another theatre in Plymouth, that's the Theatre Royal in Plymouth, um, for very young children. Um, and then we have our Quentin Blake exhibition in the gallery, right. um, which is lovely for, for children and adults alike. Um, and then, of course, you know, we run a cafe and a cinema, so it, it's full, full on at this yeah. time of year with thousands and thousands of people coming through the building. So it's it's a very busy time. Yeah. Um, so obviously pantomime is is one of the big things, but I also want to speak about you as an individual. Um, so I guess you don't get into this line of work without being interested in the arts in one way or another. So how did you become interested in like the theatre or the arts as a whole? Um, well, it started at a, at a very early age, which I think it often does um, very much when you so. discover that. Um, you're not very good at maths or <laughs> physics, um, but yeah. you love singing or dancing or, mm. or acting or music of any, you know. Um, and that's exactly the same thing that happened for me was that I liked singing very much. I liked mm. performing, not so much, but um, I seem to be chosen quite a lot to do performances um, yeah. because I did uh, probably have... Um, that in me that I wasn't, I didn't know at the time that's what, what I was going to be doing. But, um, and, you know, I went through school, the, you know, the joy that I got at school was again with the music, particularly with music um, and, uh, and singing in, in choirs at school and going out in, and doing things as a, as a school choir um, was, was very interesting for me. Um, and, yeah, and sport was the other thing, which uh, I know surprises everybody. <laughs> <laughs> but those two things were, were the things that I was very interested in. And um, when I finished school and I had no clue what I wanted to do, um, my, in fact, my music teacher said, well, why don't you think about doing a performing, performing arts of some description at university? Yeah. And I didn't even know that was a thing. You know, yeah. I didn't come from a, a performing background my family had no clue um still don't still have no idea what I do and um <laughs> and uh, yeah so um and I you know frankly I was desperate to leave home I was 18 and um yeah I just needed to to spread my wings and so um with the help of my music teacher actually I applied uh, to do performing arts um, at university and surprise surprise got in but I applied to do music and I was offered drama at the audition which was really unusual I, was like, I didn't even audition for drama so they they said we want to give you a place on the drama course but you'll do music as your second subject 
Um, and okay. so that's what happened. And I found myself amongst all these thespians and I had no clue what on earth they were all doing or what I was doing <laughs> or why we were all here. Yeah. But um, I kind of found my tribe eventually. And I think that that's, that's it. You find people that you align with and that you have similar values to. Yeah. And, you know, after completing that, I then went out into the world of work because my family said, well, you've had your fun. It's now time to get a proper yeah, job. Yeah, time to get a job. <laughs> Trying to get a proper job. Um, my mum really wanted me to go and work in Tesco's as a manager and go on their graduate management scheme. And I said, mum, I couldn't think of anything I'd rather Worse. least do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, and she's going, well, you can still do your drama, you know, when you're, uh, you know, in your own time. That's going, no, it's going to be my career, actually. So um, I started off as an entertainment officer in Holiday Park on the Isle of Wight. Oh, yeah. Who knew? Nice. Um, and that was it. I then got a job after that summer season uh, back in London um, working for um, a local authority yeah. as a, in the entertainment department. In those days, Ben, there was money, <laughs> and uh, each each local authority had uh, you know an entertainment or an arts budget and an arts department yeah. because culture was seen as vital as part of living. You know, yeah. um, and uh, so I did that for about eight years and became an entertainment officer, and I did things like firework displays in in parks and awesome. I looked after, uh, we introduced contemporary circus into, into, into the spaces. I did tea dances in the town hall. Sweet. Um, I did children's shows in libraries. So all of those things that were all about community and community based. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and then I got a job working in a venue mm -hmm. and um, it was, it was rather nice to not have to be, um, booking portaloos and working outside or festivals, which is what I've been doing sure. um, as part of my job as well in, in, in the parks. So, um, so I went to work at Fairfield Halls in Croydon, oh, yeah. um, which is also a multi-venue art space. So it's also got a theatre and a concert hall. Um, and I worked there for eight years, I think, as um, eventually I was the head of, head of artistic programming there. Um, and uh, so that's really sort of where I cut my teeth in terms of programming um, venues. Um, and from there, I went on to work at the Royal Festival Hall in London. Um, again, another multi-venue uh, venue, multi-auditorial venue, um, mainly predominantly a music venue. Mm -hmm. um, and I looked after all of the um, programming from external promoters coming into the venue. So I was the head of programming yeah. um, there at Festival Hall, um, South Bank Centre, um, for 10 years and uh, saw a huge range of, of artists coming in. You know, it was a fantastic space to work in. Absolutely. Um, and we had uh, a very big development programme in terms of the building, mm -hmm. and I became um, very involved in that, and I discovered there um, at that point that I had a real interest in developing physical development of buildings mm -hmm. and um, doing capital projects. Who knew that actually working with builders was much easier than working with artists? <laughs> so um, so we did that. Uh, that pro project was a couple of years. It was a £112 million project at that time. And that was, what, 17 years ago now. So um, it, was, it was huge. Yeah. Um, and uh, but after being there for ten years, I thought time to time to go and try something else. Yeah. I also had two small children mm -hmm. um, at that point, 
Um, and uh, so I decided to leave and I was going to spend a year being a mum. Mm-hmm. But after about two months, the kids drove me absolutely bonkers. And I thought, no, I've got to go back to work. Yeah. This, isn't, <laughs> this isn't for me. So uh, um, I got a job as um, interim director at E&O, um, English National Opera, sure. as the um, director of operations. So I was uh, doing a maternity cover um, for a year there. Yeah. And that was fantastic. Really loved working there and seeing the the world of opera and the making of opera because yeah. it's a producing venue, um, producing company, making their own work. Um, and I'd always been in a venue which had received work that was already made by someone else and then brought into the venue. So working in there is a you know it was amazing to see the workshops where the costumes were being made, the dyeing workshop where all the shoes were, were dyed to make, you know, to match the costumes were just fantastic. Yeah. Um, so that was an interesting year working in an absolutely stunning venue. Yeah. The Coliseum in London is just the most beautiful theatre. I think it's got the largest stage yeah, in London the largest, as well. And, yeah. Um, yeah. And it's so beautiful. Um, but the world of opera, uh, you know, it's a challenge and I'm disappointed to see what's happening with English National Opera at the moment. They're being, um, you know, forced to move out of London and um, hopefully it will come good. But it's it's been you know, a bit of a shocker, really, seeing what's going on there. But um, and, um, I got the opportunity to come to Paul um, and to be the CEO, which was, you know, sort of an opportunity to be to take on the leadership role. Um, of a large multi-auditorial venue, which is exactly what, you know, my experience has been. Yeah. So, um, and I've been here since 2009. Yeah. yeah. So quite a long time now. <laughs> and I think, is the Lighthouse the biggest of its kind in the country? It or is. The... It's yeah. outside of London. Yeah. Yeah. The only comparable venue with it is Warwick Arts Centre, which okay. we have just... Uh, added an, a couple of other cinemas into their space, which I think makes them probably give gives them a few more seats than us. Sure. But um, people think that Lighthouse is just you know this little theatre in a seaside town um, in in the southwest, whereas actually it's a massive venue. Yeah. Um, with a huge auditorium, the concert hall massive. is fifteen hundred seats. The theatre is six hundred and seventy seats. Studio is 130 seats. The cinema is 100 seats. It's very, very large for a, quite a small coastal town. And it punches above its weight, really, in terms of ambition yeah. and the work that we present. Yeah. Because we've got all those different auditoriums, we have to be bringing in a whole variety of things, yeah. whether it's small-scale artists who've only just started in their careers, um, whether it's you know huge-named artists like Paul Weller, who's coming to us in April. Yeah. Um, so everything, it, it's all very, very um, diverse yeah. and a broad church of what we can deliver. So we have to all be kind of very multitasking yeah. all the time because it's a small team that runs it. Yeah. So how is it decided that artist comes on that couple of days, that artist comes that month? Like, Is it just having to work two months ahead of time, six months ahead of time? Oh, a lot longer than that. Um, for our orchestral concerts, we work two years ahead. Um, for our theatre programme, it's about a year. Yeah. For our studio theatre, it's about six months. Yeah. And our cinema, it's three months. Okay. So everything's got slightly different, but each genre has a, has a different um, 
kind of lead time. Yeah. So we, we find things like comedy is less less lead time, but things, uh, particularly theatre tours, you know, it takes yeah. a huge amount of of time and work to schedule. You know, it might be a six month tour going around, you know, many many different yeah. venues, and the bookers that that work for those companies. Um, have to work very hard to get the routing right and see who's got availabilities. So it's all, it's a big puzzle, yeah. um, big jigsaw puzzle, and everyone has to slot into it, yeah. <coughs> Excuse me. It's a, all good. Uh, it's all good. So we both mentioned at the beginning about it is panto time all over the country. Um, similarly to my previous question, how long does it take to do the preparation for a pantomime? That must literally be like, last panto ends, preparation begins in january well we've already we've already started yeah. for next year <laughs> so we've already decided what the show we're going to do and we've already got it on sale so we've decided the schedule and we can do that because we're producing it ourselves so we yeah. can make those decisions um and we will start working with the creative team in january once they've all had a bit of a rest sure. um, <laughs> And yeah. um, and we'll start working on what the synopsis is going to be for the for the play, um, and we'll start looking at the casting and who we want to um, to, to bring into the cast. Um, so and then we will also start looking for set and the costume design. Um, I'm very fortunate that I've been working with the same team for a few years now. Yeah. So we've got um, kind of a clear method of working in it you know, it, it seems to be working really, really well. So we have our production manager, James Smith, who um, comes up with the designs and the costumes and he does the lighting, etc. Yeah. Um, and Chris Jarvis, who we've been working with for a few years now, who writes it yeah. with some input from us um, <laughs> as a team, just saying, yeah, we'd like that or let's yeah. do something a bit different. Uh, and then the team at Lighthouse, of course, we start working on the marketing. We... Um, start looking at the design of the posters and yeah. what the images are that we're going to be using. Um, and then it goes on throughout the year. So every month there is kind of a, a thing, a, a milestone that we have to have achieved, whether yeah. it's you know, sort of on marketing, whether it's on casting, whether it's sure. on the writing, whether it's on the design. Um, and, of course, you know, we have financial um issues as well in, in mm. the sense that we we it costs a huge amount of money to put on this show and it only goes on um in the theater for three and a half uh, three and a half weeks yeah so it's we have to um we have to make sure that uh financially that we are you know sort of being careful with the budget yeah. um and are able to achieve um contribution to our to our bottom line with it yeah absolutely. um so speaking of budgets and everything so so must have been a couple of months ago um i read about basically keeping the stage lights on so to speak and obviously with everything that happened with covid and now theaters are still recovering from that and cost of living as everyone knows now um so i guess how for the lighthouse covid must have been horrendous but how was it navigating that whole situation and obviously what we're in now which has sort of um, been like an indirect result of COVID as well. So yeah we thought that it couldn't get much worse with when COVID hit us. Yeah. I remember standing in uh, we called an all-staff meeting and everyone came sat in the cafe and I said look we we 
needs to be very reactive to this, but I think that we'll all be fine by Easter. Okay. And we'll be back working. And my caveat to that is I didn't say what year. <laughs> so, yeah, okay, yeah, yeah. I really thought that, you know, a couple of months and then um, it would be over and we would be back in. Um, and how wrong I was. Although, um, interestingly, we had started planning. We, we kind of, we saw the signs in December, mm. um, December 19. 19 yeah. We saw the signs. We were watching very carefully what was going on in the rest of the world. Yeah. And we were quite surprised come January that we hadn't been, you know, given any indication that we ought to be preparing. But, mm-hmm. but we did. Yeah. Um, and we put together our plan of what we would do if we were um, having to, if everyone got sick. Um, if we had to close, mm-hmm. um, etc. So we had all of that in place. And then the, the writing was on the wall. Unfortunately, I think in hindsight, the theatre industry saw it sooner than the government. Yeah. And um, we, got a, we got a shout out from our industry um, body to say, we want all theatres to close um, with, with immediate effect. Yeah. Now, that was a big shock. And um, some theatres took it literally and literally brought the curtain down whilst they were performing. And I just said, don't be ridiculous. We'll, we'll wait until yeah. at least till tomorrow yeah. and, yes. um, and we'll sit down and plan it. <laughs> yeah. um, uh, because this isn't a government directive. This is an industry um, proposal. Mm-hmm. So uh, unfortunately, we, we, because we'd done that preparation before, we were able to just put that into place. And we, it all went very, very smoothly. Um, unfortunately, I got COVID at the same time, yeah. and um, but I didn't know it was COVID. And in fact, everyone was telling me in the office, you need to go home, you're not well. And I was going, oh, I'm, I'm fine, fine, I'm fine. And um, they were like, no, no, go home. Mm-hmm. And, then, and I went home and crushed and burned for 16 days, yeah. um, but still trying to keep everyone, you know, on, on track. Um, and it was... But it was a scary time for the first few months because I could just see our bank balance going down and down and down. And we didn't know what we were going to do about the future. Um, And so we took the view that all we could do was lobby very hard. We couldn't just do nothing. We had to lobby the government. We had to lobby the industry. We had to lobby our partners. We had to lobby our funders and say, you know, we're not going to survive. And if we don't survive, no one's going to survive. And that will be the end of the of the cultural industry for, for a long, long time. Yeah. So um, we just, I spent a lot of time uh, talking to journalists, writing articles, um, doing uh, surveys for people and being on the phone um, as much as I could to get every, everyone to listen. Mm. Uh, and they did listen. And the government stepped in and gave us the Cultural Recovery Fund, which we then had to apply for. So I did spend lots of months um, writing applications, funding applications, um, which was, you know, vital. Yeah. And, you know, in hindsight, it was absolutely the right thing because they couldn't just give us money. They just needed to make sure they were giving it to right the right people. people for the right reasons. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, and uh, so once we had that, and we didn't get that money until I think the September of 2020, um, which was... After we had sadly had to let a few people go, um, 
because we just didn't know whether we were going to survive or not. Yeah. Um, and then the furlough scheme came in and that saved us uh, as well. Yeah. So um, once we knew that we had that backing and we had that funding coming in, um, it made things a lot easier to deal mm-hmm. with. Um, but we just, I think we, I think we cancelled and then rescheduled about 600 different shows. And for each one of those, we had to do, you know, formal writing, cancelling, yeah. um, then rescheduling, sending a new, a new contract, moving things around in the diary. Um, and it became a logistical sort of feat. Yeah. Um, I have a lovely programming team who just sat and dealt with it all. Yeah. Um, and them in the room. They were locked in the room and, um, yeah, for, well, for a year or so, actually, doing that. And some shows we rescheduled uh, five times because every time we put it in, then there'd be another lockdown or then, you know, something else happened. Oh, we get COVID and they have to reschedule it. Anyway, yes. Yeah. yeah. And we had to think very differently. We had to think, well, you know, we can't, we just have to rip these contracts up. We can't hold anyone to account for, for cancelling. We just have to work differently. Yeah. Um, and we took the view that uh, we would just be as relaxed as we could and we would just support support artists, support ourselves, support our partners. And we opened up where we couldn't have live performances because we couldn't have audiences in. Um, we made the case that we could still be a working building, mm-hmm. in which case artists could still work in our building, even though there wasn't a public. Yeah. So um, we opened up all of our spaces to artists and said, if you want to come in and use our spaces to rehearse or to develop new work, um, do so. And that's what we did. Um, and particularly our resident orchestra, BSO, they, um, they needed to keep working. And if the building had been closed, they wouldn't have been able to keep working. Yeah. So we said to them, the concert hall is yours uh, we'll build out an, uh, an extension on the stage so that you can work and be socially distanced at the same time. Yeah. So if you imagine an orchestra, they sit very closely together. And during that time, they couldn't because we had to be two meters apart. Yeah. So we built out a, a, a bigger stage, bigger platform so that they could all play two meters apart. Yeah. It's quite surreal thinking about it now. Um, and they put into place um, the ability to do live streaming of their concerts. Yeah. So instead of having an audience in the room, they put the shows at the concerts out to the audience. And um, it was fantastic to see that they, you know, they had thousands and thousands of subscribers online watching their concerts yeah. at the same, which they put out at the same time every day, every week as they would have done a, a live concert. Yeah. And they kept their audiences going that way, and they kept their finances going that way as well. So um, that was that was a really interesting thing that we did, and um, and it changed how we viewed our our venue as well yeah. because we we've since said actually we're going to use a lot more space in our venues for for artists to do that rather than just have shows after show after show. Yeah, yeah. So in our studio about. Uh, four months of the year now, we hand over to our artists to use, uh, not for performance, but for, for making work. And uh, we call that scheme our sanctuary scheme, nice. because during COVID, it was kind of a sanctuary place for artists to come. Absolutely. So, uh, so that's, what, that's what we did. And, um, you know, we kept the staff going. Um, we had weekly Zoom calls with the staff. I expected all staff to, yeah, to them. Yeah. log into the Zoom call. And it just... 
became a lot of fun because, you know, every week, what else were we going to talk about? So um, we had a craft club, so we set up a craft club online, so everyone started making things and... um, and then when we returned back to the building, we exhibited some of those things. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was out of a very difficult and challenging situation came some joyful moments. And that was that was really good uh, for us as well. Yeah. So, and then coming back from, from COVID, we thought, great, everyone will be rushing back. back to the theatre, yeah. Rushing back to the theatre. And, um, and then we had the war in Ukraine. Uh-huh. And everyone went, whoa, what's going on? All of our utility prices shot up. Yeah. Um, cost of living. And that's been another sort of blow, really, to the whole industry. Yeah. Because it's added another over £100,000 a year onto our costs. And we are a not-for-profit organisation. Yeah. We, you know, a good year we might, you know, make um, a, a bit of money. But yeah. we're talking you know, very small amounts of, of surplus to go into our reserves. Yeah. Um, but on a, you know, this year we're expecting to have a deficit. Sure. So it's um, to find another £100,000 just like that um, for turning the lights on is is very, very challenging. Yeah. Um, and we rely on public funding. We rely on Arts Council money. We also rely on the local authority funding yeah. um, that they give us to run the building. Um, and... Uh, so all of those things are things that we are having to deal with alongside trying to make a really good program and put on a good panto. Hello, just interrupting this episode to ask you a quick favour. If you like what you're listening to, give it a rating, leave a review and subscribe to the podcast feed. It helps more than you could imagine. Now, back to the episode. And so I guess... As a result of that, you're going into your busiest time of the entire year. So is it a case of, I guess, just not of hope for the best, but get support and try and put on the best show you possibly can in order to get people through the doors? We always, always try to put on the best show that we can. I think that that, uh, and I think that's another reason that we took the pantomime in-house was so that we could make sure that we could do the very best that we could. Yeah. Um, and that care and attention, I think, has made us stand out a little bit from from others yeah. where we, we, we do put our heart and soul into it. And it's going back to what you said at the beginning about, um, your, you know, where did it all start? And for, for nearly everybody that's in the kind of artistic side yeah. of, of, of a venue, it, you do it because you have that absolute passion for the performance oh, yeah. side and what goes on your stages um, and the artists. And so um, I think that gives a venue heart when you've got the people in it yeah. that are making sure that it isn't just a financial transaction. No. It's, no. Um, it's an artistic transaction as well. Yeah. And um, if you don't have that, it just becomes um, a commercial operation, oh, yeah. which is fine if that's what, if that's what you want. But for us, because we are the heart of our community, we want to do the very best for our community. And we want, you know, we have that personal ambition Mm -hmm. of doing a really good job and wanting to make sure that our community has uh, the best that we can offer them. Yeah, because with knowing people doing pantomimes this year, when you're young, it's the first 
time a lot of people go into the theatre. Yes, absolutely. Now, for me, it wasn't a pantomime, though. I remember the first time I went to the theatre, which was at the Lighthouse, um, it was my nan taking me to see Noddy in Toyland. Um, and I still remember that, because I'm 25 now, so that must have been... 20 years almost ago. Almost 20 years ago. Yeah. And this year, I've been to the theatre a lot. I go to London a lot. I'm seeing Hamilton next year. And it's one of those things that pantomime is a lot of the time the first time people go to the theatre and a lot of the time that is the first time that people say I want to do that yes yeah, yeah. and we, we we feel that responsibility as producers of trying to make that a really joyful and exciting moment for for youngsters because for me it's not just about what goes on on the stage it's actually coming into a large building which may mm. be the first time that a young child has been into such a space with so many people and yeah. um, and and that's exciting you know I still remember the buildings that I went into as a young child that um, you know I went to the festival hall when I was I don't know eight or nine to see lunchtime a lunchtime children's concert on a Saturday mm -hmm. and I do you know what I still remember what I ate in the cafe because <laughs> that was so exciting to be taken yeah. out for lunch and to be mm. treated like a grown-up and then to go yeah. into this enormous cavernous room um, where an orchestra turned up and they played the most amazing things. And that was, it, that was a moment for me. And I, I forget sometimes, but I always try not to forget that yeah. that is the experience of a child coming into my venue is mm -hmm. of that huge space. So we always try and make the, the foyer look fun and look at yeah. uh, look at enticing, particularly when we've got children's shows. Um, you know, my, my staff are trained um, to be super friendly and look after families, particularly when they come in. Um, and that's, you know, I think we do that mostly um, uh, quite well um, because the, the staff know that that's an important part of the experience. Yeah. Um, and and yeah, so coming in and seeing the seeing the space, looking at the lights, looking at you know the costumes and everything is it's you know sometimes it's an overwhelming experience for a young child because it's a sensory overload. Um, and but uh, as long as we we remember that we need to play to a whole variety of different people it's um you know panto is quite an interesting one because you have five-year-olds coming and then you have grannies coming and then you have teenagers coming and you have yeah, parents coming. It. so it's got to it's got to resonate with all of those different groups it's the only art form that really has to do that so it's yeah. quite tricky when you're when you're looking at the writing and you're looking at the um the scenes uh, to make sure that that works. And we've been careful this year. Um, the actor who is playing um, our baddie didn't want to be really scary because um, of not wanting to terrify young children. <laughs> um, I was like, no, scare them, scare them. And he was yeah, like, no, I yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> he was like, no, I really want to be careful about this. So... Um, and we were also wanting to be careful about cultural appropriation and not setting yeah. Aladdin in in a, a a cultural setting that was inappropriate with you know a bunch of of white actors playing mm, yeah. in an Arabian scene. So we haven't done it like that. Um, so he's now playing the baddie as Professor Hocus Pocus, oh, who in, nice. in another in another pantomime might have been um, the Abenaza figure. 
Um, and But that was deliberate so that he the young children wouldn't be frightened of him and I'm really pleased to get the feedback that parents have said it's great that you know they all booed him because they knew he was the baddie but they weren't frightened yeah. of him um so we had him we've got him as a glam rock professor oh no he isn't oh he is definitely he is got it there eventually got it in oh glad <laughs> that one's behind us Ben <laughs> I can keep going all day I'm, I'm in panto oh. band, you know <laughs> Ben, are you going to come and see our panto? Would you like to? I would. Currently, I'm seeing my niece's little panto, um, which is at the pavilion. <laughs> I'm okay. seeing that currently. Um, though I've got some time over Christmas off, so I'd love to see it because I want right. to see how you make a carpet fly. I want to see how that works. Okay. Uh, I can't tell you because it's magic, man. I've never seen Aladdin. I've seen a lot of shows, but I've never seen Aladdin. So I would love okay. to. Okay, well... You let me know. Let me know what day you want to come. Very much appreciate it. That would be great. Um, and so, as you said, the panto only lasts of three weeks, and then we're into twenty twenty-four. You mentioned Paul Weller at the beginning. Um, what else are you looking forward to in twenty twenty-four? You're going to ask me this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, you made a list, haven't you? You made a list of everyone. I haven't made a list, but we ha- we do do we do do about six hundred different performances over the year. But the things yeah. I am looking forward to, I'm looking forward to um, some of the music that we've got coming up. Um, mm-hmm. So Elvis Costello nice. is, is coming, um, who I have seen before when I worked at the festival hall. Um, yeah. So it'll be interesting to see him him again. Um, we've got play the full Monty coming in March, and I'm very much looking forward to that. You can imagine why, Ben. And yes, we've got uh, a serious play, the uh, Twelve Angry Angry Men, um, mm. which I'm excited to see. Um, and I was like the ballet, so we've got ballet coming in January, yeah. and they, uh, it's an international ballet company of dancers from all over the all over the world, um, yeah. and we also are bringing back Birmingham Royal Ballet for the first time in about okay. ten years, um, nice. and with their new artistic director Carlos Acosta, and I'm a big fan of, of yeah. him as a dancer and of Birmingham Royal Ballet as a as a ballet company. So that's that's very exciting. For me personally, um, but yeah, there's 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 so much really. I can't I can't list it all in the time. Very nice. Who would you like to see perform at the Lighthouse? Who hasn't actually performed yet? Um, for me, it's Coldplay, but that's just me. Well, it would have to be Robbie Williams then. If you're giving me Coldplay, I'll give you Robbie Williams. Um, okay. Well, it certainly entertain you. We can say that much, can't we? <laughs> I know. It's- you're questioning my musical taste, I can see already. But um, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a huge Take That fan. Yeah, and, um, I have managed to get to take that song into the panto, Ben. You'll be um, pleased oh, to hear them. Yeah. I'm just trying to, mm, just trying to think of which one it could be. Yeah. Mm, Relight My Fire, probably, I guess. I don't, I don't know. Anyway. I, I would like to see... Um, well, there's, there's a few... I mean, I've seen quite a lot of artists over the years, and I think the most special one, I've seen was uh, Liza Minnelli when I worked at the Coliseum and um, I doubt she will ever ever tour again but 
she was like the epitome for me seeing um, that artist on stage, particularly as when I was doing my degree, I did um, mm -hmm. uh, one of my topics was actually uh, cabaret, of, of which she was the star. So I'd done yeah. quite a detailed sort of um, study on that show and her. So to meet her, um, which I did a few times while we were doing that project was um, at the Coliseum, yeah. was amazing. Yeah. She didn't let me down with her diva behaviour. <laughs> Back to you. Um, with the name of this, it's to do with your crescendo, which obviously different people, it means different things, whether or not it's doing what you love or whatever it means to you. Are you where you've always wanted to be? Am I where I've always wanted to be? Interestingly, um, when I was doing the tech rehearsals this last week or two weeks ago yeah. for pantomime, um, a friend of mine who I was at university with popped in and she's, uh, she's not seen me at work ever. And she was a, a dancer who turned, and, her and her career was um, eventually as a head teacher. And she, she popped in to see me because she was uh, going, you know, coming through this area. And we sat in the dark doing the tech rehearsal for the, for the panto. And she turned to me and she said, our 18-year-old selves, this was the epitome. This is what we wanted to do and you've achieved it. Yeah. And I had a bit of a moment because I just thought, actually, the, my 18-year-old self did want to be doing this world. And um, I did think perhaps I would be a performer, but the reality was that I wasn't cut out to be a performer. I would get on the stage and every time I opened my mouth to sing, uh, my knees would knock together and um, it would all fall apart. Um, so I think that, um, is this the is this my crescendo? Have I achieved everything I wanted to achieve? Um, I've achieved some of it. I haven't achieved all of it. Um, yeah. But I think that my direction of travel has changed so the yeah. ideas of what i wanted to do at the beginning have probably uh, moved as well um yeah. having a family changed what i could physically do sure. um because i was restricted as a woman um having kids uh, you know it's a choice but it meant that my career had to take a slightly different path i think mm -hmm. um because I, you know, when you're working in the entertainment business, it's it's very long hours. It's a lot of evenings. It's yeah. all, you know, it's weekends. It's everything where uh, actually you can't have family time um, if you're doing that. So I had to make a choice. And so um, that's what I've done. And going into, you know, sort of the business of the arts rather than the arts business um, yeah. has been an, um, a good thing for me, I think. And has been perhaps... A better, a better natural fit for my bossy, overbearing <laughs> personality. Perhaps, sure. I don't know. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, and I guess a great way to end on is where do you see the lighthouse going in the future, in the years to come? Um, that's an interesting one because we are often thinking about that and you know, we think about it in a number of different ways. One, we look at what are the performances and the type of work that we want to present. Um, you know, the, the restrictions of the venue are such that, you know, it will always be concerts and plays and theatre, etc. So we have ambition for bringing in more great work, 
great named artists, developing our music program back to to where it was a few years, well, many years ago. Um, And uh, the work that we can help support and to make and those artists that we can bring into the venue is is important. Then we also have to look at um, the the strategy for the building itself in the future mm-hmm. is the building, you know, what work is the building physically going to need? Is there any room for developing the building and making the building different? So we're always thinking about this. Um, yeah. And at the moment we've got a 10 year plan of redeveloping some aspects of the building, um, of keeping it current and tip top and making it fit for purpose. So that's a our 10-year capital program. You know, wouldn't it be great if we found money to put, um, you know, an, uh, another floor onto the top of the building so that we could mm-hmm. have, a, you know, a beautiful restaurant with a view out over the sea? Um, we've thought about that long and hard. And, um, you know, at the moment, the financial situation is so tough that we just yeah. can't think of anything um, broader like that but we have got the plans and we have got the thinking um, and for me it's just making sure that we continue to deliver the best arts uh, program and community engagement program and opportunities for young people to come in yeah. and access the arts and to keep making sure that the arts are central to our community um, and to make the case um, you know sort of with those funders that the arts deserves to be supported because, um, you know, imagine if we didn't have Lighthouse um, and people locally, they would need to go and get the, they still need the culture. Even if we're not here, people want and need culture. So they would need to go elsewhere. And I just don't see that, um, that that would happen really for, for a lot of people because we are a local venue and we are very well supported by our local community. So, um, I, you know, I can't give you one specific plan um, other than we constantly looking for those opportunities um, of working with great artists and also within our community as well. That's great. Um, and I know that before we started recording, you said 11 are the latest. And so it is more or less 5-2. So I'm going to say now, thank you so much for agreeing <laughs> to do this. Um, it's one of those things that when I started this, I didn't think I would reach the end of the year by speaking to a CEO. So just that in itself oh, has ben. been an achievement in itself. <laughs> well, Ben, it's been a delight to talk to you and, um, and really interesting to see what you're doing as well and uh, the people that you're inviting in and uh, always happy to chat. But And I, you know, do come and see the panto. Just um, I very much will. Just tell Kate what you'd like and we'll sort it out for you. And then you can tell me what you think. <laughs> I will. And I then will. we can I'll have another chat. Review. We can have another chat about about it. You up for that? I'm up for that. I'll do a full review and everything. Oh, great. Okay. So uh, enjoy the extra pantomime, even though obviously it won't be as good as yours. Obviously, it won't be as good. <laughs> well, I actually, I really love the the guys that do the Exeter one. So um, I I do think they'll put on a good show. So we'll be looking forward to that. All right. Really nice to talk to you, Ben. Thank you, you so too. much. So good. Have a good day. Bye.